Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I am your host, Finn Melanson. And in this episode, Anton Kurpichka joins the show to talk about all sorts of things. We cover monomaniacal focus, the increasing allure of technical backcountry missions, capacity for self-reflection, the one regret of his career, the lifestyle of being a pro-endurance athlete, whether he would ever move to Salt Lake City. We even have a debate about influence. It was all over the place, but it was a ton of fun. And I know Anton has done a bunch of interviews in the past, but I do think that the questions and the banter here were relatively fresh and it's a conversation you will enjoy. One last thing to mention, just to provide a fair warning to listeners. There are a couple moments in the conversation where explicit language is used. You have been warned. Okay, with that, let's get started. Welcome, Anton. Okay, we are live. Anton Krupichka, welcome to the Single Track Podcast. Thanks, Finn. Appreciate you asking me to come on. So maybe we can start here. You did Leadville about six months ago. And as a fan of the sport, I was stoked because it's great to see you racing again. And I'm wondering, now that you're back in it, you're presumably healthy, are you following the sport? Are you tuned back in? Is running your first love or are all these other things like biking and skiing and climbing that you've taken up balancing it all? Oh, I mean, those other things are a huge part of my life. Running isn't, running hasn't changed for me since running Leadville in August. It's still really touch and go in terms of maintaining my running health. I was actually I had a pretty good train block going November and December and I was starting to think about, I mean, I was actually thinking like, oh, maybe I should do Black Canyon or even Canyons, you know, just not even I, if I were able to race into Western States, well, I don't know. That's a whole nother side thing. Point being running was going well. And then the last two months, my heel flared up and I wasn't able to do, I was still able to run, but just not as much and not as consistently and certainly not vertical. But the past couple of weeks, it's taken a turn for the better again. So it's just the, it's going to be the story for the rest of my life. So I will never, running will never be a 100% focus in my life again, ever. <laughs> and it wasn't at all going into Leadville either, like not even close. It was just kind of like, oh, I think I'm fit enough and get a couple long runs in and oh, away we go, you know? So, yeah. Are you saying that there is an outside chance that you could line up for a race like canyons at the end of april and potentially race your way into nah, states and- not anymore not anymore not that race specifically it's what that's only it's about six seven weeks away yeah. there's a couple of bike objectives between now and then that i'm going to be pursuing that would will be taking up my time now i'm just like grateful and hopeful that oh maybe there's something i could do in the first half of the summer that requires extensive foot travel you know <laughs> whereas for the first past couple of months i'm bummed they're like oh god am i only going to be biking this summer but yeah i no, i won't be racing uh, the canyon center guy no okay cool well i think one of the first places i want to take this conversation is the fact that you are a multi-sport athlete which i find fascinating because a lot of folks in the sport myself included were incredibly one-dimensional it's like the running equivalent of not studying abroad or going to see another country and (laughs) get continuing education to see other possibilities. But like I said, you've done climbing, you've done biking, all of it is a part of your life. What are some of the things that you appreciate about, about those other sports that you think our sport might be missing? Well, it's, it's funny. I guess what I don't get from running is what is so attractive about it too. And that is that it is so pure and elemental. You know, it's super simple. Ultras get a little more, uh, there's more X factors. It gets a little more engaging and dynamic and interesting. But sports like climbing, cycling, and skiing, they're just endemically like super dynamic, technical. There's a lot to learn in all of them. They're technique-based. Biking, not so much, but in cycling, like there is the bike, which is a whole nother, like, right. like running doesn't have, I know there's sneaker heads and that kind of shit, but like, but, but like sneakers, like shoes are disposable. You know, you, they're like, they're not a durable good. You just like, you wear them for a month, you pound them on the ground, you throw them out with a bicycle. There's a bike that can last for decades. That's beside the point. But so I'm saying it's weird because 
what I really like about running is how simple it is, but that's also, yeah, lends itself to this one dimensionality that ends up not being very engaging if that's all you're doing. And I don't want to, I don't want to like shit on running though. Like I spent two decades basically only running and obviously loved it, still love it, but I could never have, I could never have that monomaniacal focus on it again. I would be bored. I would feel very, just like unfulfilled, I guess is the word. It doesn't, I get like any period of time where it's like this last week, it was sub-zero here in Boulder for the entire week. So I only ran all week, you know? And I was like, dang, if this was my life, this is all I ever did anymore. I'd be, it would, yeah, it wouldn't feel, I guess, yeah, well-rounded. It wouldn't feel full. I don't know. So that's, like, what are I, some love, I love running. <laughs> I want to be, I want to be clear about that. You know, <laughs> so how do I phrase this? I think you've said in previous interviews that you never really identified with the ultra running scene, despite the fact that you've been one of the avatars for the sport. And so can you elaborate on that? Did you find yourself in other sports? Uh, no, definitely not. I mean, I started, became a runner when I was 11 years old, but I've, I always felt like an underdog and an outsider and definitely felt that way when I entered the ultra world too. Really? Um, yeah, because I was totally unknown. And then I was like completely like immediately at the top of the sport and I had never had any success in running before that. So mm. I totally felt like an underdog outsider. And I definitely had this kind of, Oh, I don't know. I mean, I was 23, 22 that summer. And so it's just this like, Oh, what are these people like jogging around in the woods? What's this all about? And then I went to Colorado college in Colorado yeah. Springs. Yeah. It's like a really like outdoorsy school. Like there's a lot of people say like on the North face team who went to CC climbers, skiers, that kind of thing. So there's this whole faction on campus of like, like, look how outdoorsy I can be. You know, like I'll wear my heart, my car hearts to class and I'll have my nail jean clipped to my belt and wear my Chacos, you know, that kind of thing. And I just always, like I wanted to do the outdoor things. Like I, I started climbing my freshman year at CC and I actually bought a bike that year too, but I didn't, I never identified with that kind of like looking the part, part of it. Like I just, and, and it was so, I'm only bringing this up because in the ultra running world, um, I always felt the same way. Like I thought the activity itself was really cool, but I just never really identified with the scene around it. Does that make any sense? I don't know. <laughs> that does. Should, should we implicate any specific elements of the scene or should we move on? <laughs> I think we should probably move on. I don't want to be too much of a dick, you know? Um, well, it's I, just, I don't know. It, it probably comes back to what you were saying about having a highly teen sense for unoriginality. People latching on the tropes gets exhausting, I guess, but whatever. I want to come back to this philosophically later in the conversation, but I, I think the reason I also bring it up is because I had you pinned as this person who is also obsessed about the sport, like logging on to I run far every day and reading other uh, folks like blog reports and stuff. Uh, yeah, for sure. 10, 20 years ago, I was not, okay. not the last, okay. yeah, the last decade, not as much. Um, definitely not the last five years, but from like 1995 to like 2010, absolutely. Okay. Like obsessive. Like I was the ultimate <laughs> I, yeah, not, not the ultimate, there's people who are, but I was very tuned in, you know, like when I was in college, my homepage on my, you know, internet browser was let's run.com. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that site, but like, I mean, I was heavily into like the track and like marathon world too, as a fan. Okay. So, but it's just, yeah, the last, you know, five to 10 years, just not as I became way more interested in other stuff. And then also, uh, when you're not able to run, it's really hard to care about that stuff, I think. But yeah. Going back to the cycling world or the climbing world, and given that you're a relatively new entrant there, are there any athletes that influence you right now that you're looking up to from like an artistic oh. standpoint or from like a performance standpoint, really any realm? Yeah. So I guess this is with the caveat that I definitely have athletes in those realms that get me excited about what they're doing. It's like, ah, like it seems like they have the right mindset and they're going about this the right way. But I haven't for the past 15 years, like I don't have heroes anymore. You know, I'm just not like, <laughs> I'm like too old now, dude. Um, like I kind of met all my heroes and um, 
and I've like been behind the curtain on most of those scenes too. So it doesn't, and you just realize that people are just people, you know, Um, like we're all the same. We're all just like trying to get through life as best we can. Like most of us aren't trying to do any harm. We're just trying to be kind. But I mean, to answer your question more specifically, I would say in the cycling world, of course, right now, the person to be inspired by, and I'm not immune to this, is uh, Lachlan Morton. Um, not familiar. Yeah, he, he. Well, his parents have a house here in Boulder, and he's here in Boulder most of the year. Or not? No, that's not true. Half the year, maybe less than half the year. His brother used to live here too, but now is in LA. But uh, he's a professional cyclist. He rides for the U.S. Um, professional team, which is EF Cycling, uh, EF Education First uh, World Tour team, and his team has allowed him to. To pursue like adventure style races, bikepacking races, gravel races, personal kind of FKT attempts, that sort of thing. And <clears throat> Lachlan just brings, he brings like a, I'm not, it's not an artistic bent, although I think he is, he has a bit of that to him. It's more just like he has a very like even keeled mindset about this stuff. And he has an ability for self reflection that it seems like a lot of top athletes don't. Like they're very just like, I'm a robot. This, I execute, this is the plan, you know, whereas Lachlan, he's out there to like have an experience and, and he's able to reflect on that experience and speak about it intelligently, you know? So that's what makes Lachlan to me uh, kind of like relatable and inspiring. Um, in the ask climbing world. I got to ask you something there. Yeah, you, you mentioned yeah. something really interesting. Do you think that top athletes are just born in, with that robotic mentality or do they learn that over time as like a demand of their training to become one dimensional in their pursuit? Cause that's it's really both. interesting. You think that. Yeah, it's both. It's both. Um, you know, like, so Taylor Finney is another dude who lives here in town He's ex pro cyclist. Um, he was really at the top level, but you know, he's only like 30, 31 years old. He's, he's pretty young, but he's retired now. And he has talked about how he was like literally trained to like regurgitate this, like you get media training to just say like the most boring shit, you know? Um, and it's because, I mean, cycling is a very traditional, professional cycling is a very traditional sport. Uh, it's a very European sport. Um, like the Italians, especially is like, just like you do things by the book and this yeah. is, you know, it's very old school. It's, um, so, you know, it's very like, like patriarchal too. And I don't know, kind of gross that way, but, uh, I think it's, um, Oh God, I'm not sure. It's, it comes down to personality though. And the people who maybe aren't capable of that monk-like focus and the ability to be uh, non-expressive, I guess. Yeah. They're going to wash out probably. You know, they're not going to reach the absolute pinnacle of a sport um, because they're going to be interested in other things, you know? And uh, so, yeah. I mean, Taylor, he retired super young, you know? And he's he's like he's probably the biggest talent in American cycling of the last 20 years, but yeah. And I think that you buck this trend for sure, but it's interesting to me that a lot of other top athletes in sport and in other sports do lack personality, which makes it interesting to me that brands want them to be the ambassadors from a marketing standpoint. And that somebody with probably more to say more outlook on life, maybe they're more well-read or they've had other influences. They might actually be from a marketing standpoint, someone better to be on the poster because they can just, they can open up more. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't really know the answer to that. I, I think maybe. Yeah. I think you might be right. Um, yeah. Putting your fan of the sport hat on again, like your 2010 hat, putting that back on again here in 2022, what's exciting you most about the sport right now? Oh God, dude. I have to go from a 2010 perspective. Uh, <laughs> well, just imagine that you're like as stoked about the sport now as you were then. Like, if ah, you're... <laughs> well, see, this is unfair though. Cause it's to say that I'm not stoked about running right now. Um, I'll give you a two part answer. So, okay. First trying to like have a 2010 perspective. I don't know. I mean, if I was, yeah, if it was 2010 and like, I was like fully in the thick of it and at the top of the game, I suppose I would probably be getting excited about, uh, I don't know. I was going to bring up something about Ironman in UTMB and how that's <laughs> disgusting, but I don't know. I, mean, I can't do that. Man. I don't know. I, that's a hard one for me, but I can't say like what I'm excited about 
right now, if we view running in a more broad sense than Let's simply like yeah. Yeah. ultra marathon racing, uh, it's going to be what I've been psyched down for the past decade, which is uh, a combination of more technical pursuits, but with running being involved. Uh, so like, like this past year, uh, the student lives out in California. His name's uh, uh, Vitaly Musienko, I think. He's a climber. He's an alpinist. But he did this giant traverse in the Sierras, linking two giant traverses, basically. Uh, like the full evolution traverse and the full Palisades traverse. Okay. And this is hyper-technical. We're talking like over 30 miles. I think it had something insane, like 80K overnight or something like that. But in like in just miles and literally miles of fifth-class terrain kind of thing. And um, after that, he did that in August, I think. He then ended up running some 100K in California later in the fall. And he's like not like a runner. He's very much a climber. But just that idea of like, like combining like ultra endurance with climbing pursuits, that's a long tradition in the climbing and especially in the alpinist, alpinism world mm. of uh, super long pushes, and so like that stuff gets me excited, like, like Alpine Ridge traverses, uh, big link ups, remote objectives that require an element of running to get them done in a day, car to car. And that's definitely a trend that is growing slowly in the climbing world, I would say, like, yeah. like uh, optimizing more for all day, multi-day endurance in order to complete these really big object- objectives faster than they've ever been done before, cover more ground more quickly that kind of thing. And that's what gets me most excited about running right now is like, because that's my background, ultra endurance running. But then, you know, with the skills that I've developed in the past decade of climbing and scrambling, combining the two to like, I don't know, do some interesting things because I mean, that world is, it goes back to that whole, like there's so many variables. It's so engaging. It just seems more like interesting, I guess, <laughs> than, than like running a trail and optimizing for a race. And I mean, you're constantly like what we're all looking for. Well, I don't know it's what I'm looking for. <laughs> I'm not speaking for everybody here is finding that balance of like, like of where you're capable of doing it and you're not capable of doing it. You know, you're like, uh, you know, what's going to happen but then there's that element of uncertainty and unknown and like unpredictability that you have to factor in and like hedge for. And like, that's what gives you that spark of like, I mean, that's like why I was like to do Leadville again last year is because hundred miles was unknown and unpredictable to me again. You know, like I was excited to like, I didn't know if I could do it. And so when you start playing in these realms where there's more variables that it's just easier to find that optimal nexus of like ability skill set fitness and you know that's where flow state exists you know is right on that line between holding it all together and having it all fall apart so yeah i find that easier to be done in the the alpine realm i don't know the climbing world that well but i think one thing that interests me there is events are not the default it's left up to like human creativity on your own versus in running Versus in running, the default is I'm going to put this fitness towards some sort of event. So I think that's really exciting that there could be this movement where people are opting out of the event experience and going into the wilderness and having some multi-day challenge. Do you think though, that that'll be a thing? Like it could ever be more than just like a niche pursuit? Well, what do you mean by more than, you know, like, so I think what you're talking about there is like, is it ever marketable? Is it ever like, can you ever commodify it? You know? And like, I mean, that's what you mean by that. Right. I think what I mean by that is, uh, yeah, I think I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's roll with that. I do. Let's assume I mean it from like, this can be marketed. This can be brought to a critical mass of people. This can change more than half of the running community's mind. Yeah, but who cares? Like, why do you need to change half of the running community's mind? Like, if it's something that gets you stoked and gets you excited, just go fucking do it, you know? like That's a great point. But I think the way my mind works is if I believe something, I want other people to adopt that same belief and therefore to uh, adopt those same actions. That's crazy. Where does that come from? Because like, for me, I'm the exact opposite. Like, I don't care. Like, in fact, because I think it comes from me hating being told what to do. 
so like i never want to tell somebody else what to do you know it's like not figure it out man you know like that's where the that's where the fun is like that's where you that's where you're gonna have the the crazy experience that you're never gonna forget you know I definitely don't mean it in like a hierarchical top-down way. I mean more like I just had this amazing experience and I'm convinced that if someone else had this experience, it would be equally as life-changing. But I, at the same time, there are probably some like base level things I, I think people should do. Like I feel like if everyone ran, for example, the world would be a better place. It'd be less violent. It'd be less greedy, all that kind of stuff. So I definitely have some like pie in the sky type beliefs that I wish everyone adopted, but Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm just like, I totally disagree. It is funny though, because I know what you're talking about, not recently, but I've had this discussion before with Haley of, it's funny when like I finish a movie or a book and like I immediately go online and look for the reviews of it. You know, like what did other people think about it? And what I'm looking for is I want my opinion to be confirmed, you know, which is fucking weird. Like why? Like, it's like you want to be told that you're thinking the right thing, you know, yeah. and, or, and that you feel the correct way about something. And it sounds like that's what you're saying with regard to running is like, you feel really strongly about this, but you have this, like, I want other people to like validate that I'm feeling the right way. Like that this is as meaningful as it feels to me. Yeah. There's no doubt that like when I like rack my brain for the reasons I think these things, one of them is by seeing someone else adopt something that I believe in, it like validates my existence, all that kind of stuff. But I definitely don't see life like a scoreboard, like, oh, you know, I was right here. One, you know, other person zero. But that would be a horrible way. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Totally. (laughs) This is is good. Anyways, I, I would definitely be lying if I said I didn't get some enjoyment from putting an idea or a belief out into the world and seeing it gain some momentum among other people. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. That's never been a motivation for me, I guess. Interesting. Um, yeah. It's uh, I mean, I need external or I certainly have needed external validation in my life because I mean, I'm a human. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty typical, pretty normal, but it's never been like, you know, it's more of like, you know, pat on the back for winning a race or that kind of thing but it's never been to like oh you think this thing that's the right thing to think that's i don't know that yeah or i've never like i don't know you know what was it what is it we're in 2022 so talk about like 13 14 years ago basically i guess when i started running for new balance and like then born to run came out in 2009 the whole minimalist footwear thing really took off and uh i mean i was going around the country like giving talks about minimal footwear and that kind of shit and but it was just i was doing that because i mean i believed in it but it was just sort of like oh like new balance is like to send me to this uh you know this place to give a talk what am i going to talk about we're trying to sell some shoes you know and like they're like making this shoe they're making me this shoe that i like helped them design I'm going to talk about like my philosophy about why this shoe is the right shoe for me then, you know? Yeah. Um, it wasn't, I wasn't trying to convert anybody at all. You know, you, <laughs> like, you've uh, never, you've never had the desire to influence people. No, no. I think, I mean, I am not immune to wanting an audience. Of yeah. course. Yeah. Like whenever you do any, do something creative. And for me, my biggest creative outlet is definitely writing. I want people to read my shit for yeah. sure, but that isn't, that's just fulfilling that that kind of like external validation thing it's not me wanting them to think the same thing as me it's more like yeah an exchange of ideas is always interesting yeah it is definitely interesting to get inside other people's heads and know what they're thinking um i mean any great literature i guess that's what's going on actually now that i think about it is that you're reading something you're able to identify with it in some kind of fundamental deep way you're like oh that's it. He got it. He nailed it or she nailed it, whoever, you know? And, um, but I never, uh, the only influencing that I try to, that I do with intention is the stuff that I'm paid to do, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, it's an exchange. It's transactional. 
I'm, I guess I'm going through some post-rationalization here, but what about like, oh, I just came across this technology that's going to make people's lives easier or like this running form or this formula for, you know, doing better at races, like no interest in sharing like best practices and stuff like that. Or just like things that have made life easier and more enjoyable for you. Yeah, that, this is so weird. Now you're like making me question myself because like, <laughs> like I'm a sociopath or something because I really, like I don't- you, I Dude, don't you care. made me question myself. <laughs> uh, like I don't care at all about, like if people ask me, especially if it's like face-to-face one-on-one, I'm happy yeah. to dispense advice. But it's, I've never been like, I have the answer and here it is, you know? Like that's just, that's never occurred to me, I guess. Well, because I guess I'm always just so confused and uncertain about the world. I rarely feel like I have any authority to like dispense advice, you know? Well, dude, my life quote is strong opinions loosely held, you know? But uh, dude, you made me rethink all my stuff too. This is awesome. This is why I have conversations with people because yeah, shit, I'm going to not sleep well tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um Okay. Since we're on the influence front, one thing, just as a fan of yours, I've always been curious, what is it, what does a day in the life look for you? And I know that's like a super basic question, but given that you were one of the first athletes to ever do this full time, and there's been all sorts of debate in the community of like, what do you do as a full-time runner? And do you have enough things to do in the day? I'm just fascinated because I know you're also like way into reading and writing. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I'm, I'm rambling, but what do you do? Oh God, dude. It's super variable. And I'm not actually that good with that. I've always thought that I would prefer the structure of a job where someone's just telling me what to do and I clock in and clock out and then I can do my shit on my own time. Yeah. But that, you know, now I say that out loud, like it kind of makes me nauseous to think about that. But my, so my days, they vary a lot. I mean, I guess probably the easiest way would be to describe today because yeah. It's a typical day, I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, I get up super early, usually by 5 a.m. In the summers, even earlier. But I go to bed early, too. I always start with uh, coffee and reading because my brain works best in the morning. Like, if I'm going to get something out of a book, it's it's got to happen in the first, like, couple hours of the day. And then I was out the door, ran 10 miles, came back, had had breakfast, did something like small on the bike. And, but then I got out and rode my bike out to Eldorado Canyon to meet my buddy to go climbing. Eldo's like, it's 10 miles away. We climbed for less than three hours, a couple routes, rode back, had lunch, then was like on the computer. I got back to the house probably two o'clock, 2.30, 30. So then I was on the computer for two hours. Right now I'm working on, uh, just a couple weeks ago, Haley and I were out in Southern California on this bike tour and I'm writing up a piece for a sponsor about that because the sponsor makes an app right with GPS. That's a navigation app. Um, So that's going to end up being a few thousand words because I'm wordy. (laughs) And then I was answering emails and now I'm talking to you. And like, after this, I'll have dinner, chill out and then I'll be the day. And that's pretty typical. Some days it's like sun up to sundown. I'm on the bike and nothing else gets done. Other days, maybe I only go for a run and then I have more time to get this other stuff done that I need to be doing. But like, you know, like I could bang out a whole like writing piece for a sponsor or get back to all the people in the emails or, you know, fritter away half an hour on YouTube or maybe be like, I don't know, I'm constantly working on bike stuff too, just because I'm an aspiring bike mechanic. Um, so yeah, or like as a professional athlete, like you have a photo shoot or, um, often have zoom calls. Uh, like I work on design stuff for a couple different sponsors and you're always coordinating zoom calls and back and forth on that and, or writing emails for all that (laughs) stuff too. So I don't know, I feel super busy personally, but at the same time I have almost complete control over my time. So it's this tough balance of getting all of your work done but also trying to get done all the stuff that you want to do. Cause you feel like that's why I'm living this lifestyle so that I can have this autonomy over my life. So, yeah. Well, it sounds like the answer to this next question is yes, but you said a couple of times on a couple other podcasts that you weren't willing to compromise your passions for a traditional career 
And I'm curious if you think you're still in alignment with those beliefs today. Like if you're happy with what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. Oh man, that is like the most existential question. Am I happy? Nah. I ask myself that every day, Finn. Like almost every day. What was the answer today? Uh, I woke up in a bad mood, full of doubts. But then, you know, you spend a couple, three hours like climbing. It's an incredible spring day here today. It was like 60 degrees, full sun, like just ridiculous. So nice. That was a huge mood boost. And I was like, so yeah, then you're like, yeah, I'm on the right path because I'm able to do that. I'm like able to get out in the middle of the day and do something that is immensely personally fulfilling to balance out doing other stuff I don't want to be doing, you know? Mm. So just having that flexibility in my life is invaluable, I guess. But at the same time, I really, I struggle with feeling like I'm giving back in some way, like adding to the world in a, like a meaningful and productive way. And a big part of that for me that's tough is it's not my basic nature to be a social animal. I, I don't know. It's, I think for a long time, it really manifested as being like self-centered, but then now I just realized like, it's not like some people have that energy of wanting to be around other people, wanting to, you know, I don't know, they're extroverted and I'm just, I'm introverted. And so that the whole giving back thing, it seems like it's like really at odds with my personality. And that's my big, when I can figure out how to give back in a way that, uh, is more aligned with my personality. I think I'll have found a little more happiness probably. Well, I'll say even the stuff you mentioned about the doubt, I think a lot of people resonate with, and it's interesting that you do, even though you're following a path that you felt you've been in control of for 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. Uh, but you don't think it's not, you're not, it's important to recognize your agency in life and try and take things where you want them to go. But things yeah. also just happen to you too, you know, yeah. and it's, you don't have complete control in your life and you got to be able to roll with that. And so I don't know, like this is all just fell into my lap and I've embraced it more. I would say a lot more the last like three to five years, but uh, it's, it wasn't, it never, it, you, it's all these little choices along the way. You're never like, I'm going to be a professional athlete, you know, like I'm going to be an ambassador influencer whatever, you know, it's just like opportunities come up. You try and have a value system that you like base your decisions against, make a decision, go on, you keep going forward. You know, I don't know. It's fluid. That's a great point. Yeah. And just from my own personal circumstances, I'm probably the closest I've ever been in my life to living fully in alignment, but there mm-hmm. are still days where I'm frustrated and I'm wanting, and I just came across this quote a week ago or two weeks ago. Don't forget you have things that you once desired greatly. And it brings me back to it. Yeah, that's a really good point because it's just making me think about myself. And I totally agree that I am like as aligned as I've ever been in my life right now. But it's with the caveat that I'm always feeling a little like (laughs) angsty about it all, you know? So, yeah. What are the expectations in your sponsorship contracts? Like you mentioned that you do a bunch of writing each day, recapping trip reports and races and stuff like that. And then you're also obviously your time on feet, your time on bike is significant as well given that you're not always racing or you're not racing at the same frequency as like a Courtney DeWalter or a Jim, uh, well, honestly, man, I, I don't, I don't race. I've done one race in seven years. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't have racing requirements in my contracts, obviously. Awesome. Um, uh, I mean, how would I be a sponsored athlete for the past seven years? No, it, it has more to do with appearances. Um, some sponsors is there's very specific, like deliverables with regard to well, I mean, social media, basically, you know, posting, yeah. but someone like Sportiva, there's appearances written in. I think there's an, an implicit expectation that you're going to like be banning the stuff on their Instagram. And I try to oblige that, but it's not explicit with Sportiva. Yeah. yeah basically I'm really open. If they pay me enough to where if they ask me to do something, I always say yes, basically. Like I try and be as available as possible for them because I'm extremely grateful for their support. But the other thing that's really cool and why I've really enjoyed working with Sportiva is that whenever I propose something to them, 
I don't think it's ever been shot down. Like they've always made it happen, you know? So it takes initiative on my part, but yeah, I really appreciate that about that. Given that your job is to be like really super present on social media platforms, and this is independent of the obligations of like La Sportiva and Ultimate Direction, other sponsors, do you feel like you've gotten sucked in at all to your phone and to these platforms and you're always checking them and responding or are you able to keep them at an arm's length? Because you have a huge following, obviously, and I'm guessing that you have a ton of replies to your stories and your posts and it must be incredibly distracting. So I'm fascinated. Uh, I mean, I definitely, I mean, I'm human, dude. Like, I'm like, there's billions of dollars behind trying to get us addicted to these things and I get sucked in for sure. But I try and be aware of it and I try to counter that. Haley definitely helps with that for sure. But at the same time, it's silly, like how long it takes to craft an Instagram post. But I mean, I, I almost as a, like almost as a a policy, like I don't respond to DMs. Like, (laughs) like I rarely go in there every now and then I'll jump in. It's like, Oh, I wonder who's like messaged me later. Like, you know, what's in there. Yeah. But that's not even a daily thing. That's probably like weekly. I'll check DMs. Um, So, but like, your ability to like do long-term deep focus work, like writing an article for La Sportiva or mm. reading a book, has that been interrupted at all? Do you have the same focus you had 10 years ago before the advent of these platforms? I don't think so. I think it's, I think it's decreased for sure. That is a big part of why I try and keep reading like very front and center in my life because it requires you to stay focused for an extended amount of time. You know, if I'm just reading for an hour every morning, it's like, at least I can pay attention to something for an hour, you know? Mm. Um, no, I'm in, I'm as susceptible to being distracted by all the scrolling and the, you know, multiple tabs open and all that shit when you're trying to write, like, yeah, yeah, it's terrible. It's like, it's like, I have to like get it out of my system. And then you like get to a point where like, okay, now I can do this. You know, I can sit down and get the task done, but I don't feel, I do for me, I do feel like it is a, uh, it is just like a willpower thing. Like, it's like, no, I know that this is a problem. Just put that aside and do this. But I'm like most people, like nothing gets done if I don't have a deadline, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, for the record, I promise none of these are, are gotcha questions. I'm just objectively okay. fast. I'm just objectively fascinated with what it means to be an, an endurance athlete in, in mm-hmm. 2022. So like this next question, are you posting what you want to post? on social media or do you feel like it's an obligation most of the time or yeah I, I, guess, I guess i'm saying like do you feel like it's not an obligation like the blog was not an obligation 10 years ago or does it feel like gotta gotta punch the clock on instagram today well there are i have a number of contracts like i said that have for lack of a better term deliverables yeah. like like posts that i have to do on a certain frequency and those yeah those are like I mean, forced isn't the right word, but it's transactional. And I would not do those where I'm not getting paid for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm not sure what percentage that of my feed is that. I think it's not that high. I try and keep it fairly low, maybe 10%. Um, yeah, one out of every 10 posts. No more than two, I would say. So yeah, for the most part, the vast majority of shit I put on there is stuff that I'm like, uh, it's, yeah, it's like genuine. It's coming from a place of like, I'm psyched about something or I had an experience that, you know, affected me in some way. And I feel compelled to share that. This is probably an unfair question because I don't actually believe in the answer, but I'll ask it anyways. What do you see yourself doing five years from now? Do you want to be in the same position or do you want to be doing something different? Oh God, five is the wrong time horizon for that. I would say 10 years from now, I would not want to be doing the same thing. Five is a little gray. Um, I had this, so this kind of gets like to the root of my angst probably. Back in, would have been 2008. So what am I, 25 years old. Kyle Skaggs and I are living together in Colorado Springs. And... um, I can't remember. We, you know, we were both just like so into the sport at the point. And, you know, blogs were like huge. And yeah. we were like in the public library. Neither of us had computers in the public library, like checking. I think it was the campus library, actually checking like blogs and stuff. And someone who was prominent then and still prominent now. Um, well, he was 40 then. And he was like going full time with the running thing, you know. 
And Kyle was just like, damn, dude, if I'm 40 and I'm still doing this, like, that's going to be a sad day or something. <laughs> and Kyle, like, he's an organic garlic farmer in southern New Mexico now, you know? Um, me, I'm still doing the damn thing. Like, I don't know. It's, yeah, it gives me pause on the daily, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Do you have a lot of influences outside the sport and that you're constantly reading? It sounds like you're constantly listening to other podcasts like NPR stuff. What, what do you think you would do as an alternative to this? Yeah, I mean, that's probably the problem, you know? Like, this is what I'm psyched on. What this lifestyle enables is what I'm psyched on. And uh, yeah, that's what I'm going to like keep prioritizing, I suppose. Oh, there's just so much to do. Dude. There's so many things I want to do still. And they require having a, a high level of like freedom and flexibility in my day-to-day life. I have a buddy who used to work in tech and he, he struck it rich in the crypto gold mine a couple of years back. And he, and, he <laughs> oh sent, and, and, and he sent me this screenshot of his calendar and it was completely blank for the day. And he's like the ultimate flex. Like there was just nothing on his calendar, like totally empty. And yeah. I can't say that. So I don't know. I, I don't think you're doing anything wrong. Well, I mean, my calendar isn't blank, but it's blank enough to where I get to make decisions a lot of the time that are, you know, what I want to do. Um, you mentioned earlier some things you'd like or that you're stoked on with the sport, like a lot of these multi-day self-supported adventures, putting your critic hat on. Is there anything you'd like to see changed about the sport? Oh, what's, what's running? Like, yeah, like what's one thing that like you see happening in our sport right now? You're like, we got to change that. Oh, damn, dude. Here's my problem with that, with that question, I guess, is I'm just 10 years ago, I would have been like, oh, yeah, there needs like races need to be more technical or there needs to be like a 100 mile world championship, blah, blah, blah. And like, now I don't give a fuck, dude. It's just like, I, I, if there's like no one, is telling me how to run. I get to choose how I run. So why would I whine about something being a certain way? I have full choice over how I run. Does that make sense? But I'm not asking about your running life. I mean, like for the sport at large. Yeah, I know. I understand like, that. Do you see any injustices being perpetrated on other ultra runners? And you're like, oh, <laughs> do I see it? Dude, people suffer injustices all the time. <laughs> um, no, but it goes back to that whole, what we were talking about earlier of like, wanting people to adopt kind of like your worldview or philosophy yeah. and like that is just not a tr- this is not a motivation for me so it's like i don't need i don't personally need to see any changes this way but if you're talking about injustices in the sport like yeah there's i mean there's the classic it's just like you know women diversity like it's a it's increasingly a rich person's sport you know um when you yeah, there's all kinds it, of it, it, it wasn't a rich person sport when you started, or it was less of a rich well, person. Well, as, as it's globalized, travel is expensive. You oh, know? Yeah, okay. Entry, entry fees are expensive. As the sport is globalized, when it was more, we were just doing our thing, you know, fat ass 50Ks and syrup bottles and that kind of, you know, those sort of urban myths of, I don't know, the 80s and 90s in ultra running. We weren't concerned about like, oh God, like Chamonix is the it place to be every August. Like, I need to get over there. Like, how do I save up the pennies you know like that's a huge barrier to entry if like you think you need to be in chamonix in august you know yeah it's like plane tickets aren't cheap uh travel in general isn't cheap you know so yeah it's so there's something you want to see changed about the sport travel less i don't care though man like i don't have any strong feelings about this like no no but i would like to see like if you're going to like consider yourself a part of a community, you want that community to feel equitable, you know? Yes. Yes. Uh, I, so I think it is important that races are offering as much opportunity as possible to level the playing field. And like, you know, races like uh, high lonesome, they're trying yeah. to get as many women as are men. Like that's, that's great. Like that yeah. stuff, but it's not, um, but that's like, deciding that you're like interested in racing i guess you know it's uh like i said i get to choose how i run on any given day like there was like i would say 10 years ago amongst myself and my friends it was like oh like you need to have like uh 
you know, everyone was so inspired by what was going on with sky running in Europe and technical courses and having via Ferradas and all this shit. And it's like, I can just go do that. Why does it need to be in a race? You know, who cares? Like it's, I don't know. Like, like, like we do that here in Boulder and it's so rad. Um, you know, we're just like a bunch of friends get together and try really hard on a given technical route. And yeah, it's like the most, that's something I'm excited about in this sport. That's not ultra running though. These are like sub one hour efforts, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. One issue that I take with our community is everybody tiptoes around disagreements. And I love that you can just be like, Finn, fuck that question. That's a terrible question. Yeah. Philosophical line in the sand. <laughs> well, I'm just, that's, that's not a bad question. It's just a question that I'm like personally not interested in, I guess, maybe is a better way to put it. Well, anyways, like, I, I respect yeah. it. <laughs> um, what do I want to ask next? Well, going back to maybe what you might do from a racing standpoint, either later this year or sometime in the relative near future, are there any American hundred milers that are top of mind for you right now? Would you ever do a race, for example, like the Wasatch 100, which is in my backyard? Yeah. I mean, Wasatch is one of those classics, you know, that given like titanium limbs, I would absolutely sign up for, for Wasatch. Um, Having said that, there's really only one and everyone knows it. It's hard rock. And I've gotten in twice, never lined up. What years did you get in? 2012 and 2015, I think. Definitely 2012. I can't remember. I think the second time was 2015. 2012, not lining up was a huge mistake. It is like the one regret of my ultra running career, I think. Um, I just had, I had a shin injury. You know, you get a full refund if you pull out before June 1st, I think. June 1st, I felt way too injured. But by the time a month later, basically the race rolled around, I was ripping shape. I was in really good shape and like really wish I had been able to race that day. 2015, I had a stress fracture in my tibia. I couldn't do it. Uh, So, yeah. But there's a lot of hoops you have to jump through, obviously, to get back into that race. I know. I know. And it's, 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 like you'd have yeah, to race a Wasatch, like, for example, to get back in. Yeah, bear, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Which, yeah, I don't know. I guess, you know, when I have the last couple of months, like I just had, or it's like all this uncertainty about my Achilles again, it's so hard for me to plan multi-years out a race schedule, you know? So I don't know. Maybe one day I'll, I'll go and. ITT, the, the hard rock course, just for my own personal edification, just to see it in one push, you know? Um, so I thought what Walmsley did there was cool. Like that, yeah, just bringing yeah. that to a more public audience. Like, I'm going to go do this during the pandemic. That was pretty sweet. He didn't finish. That was, but... in, that was, that, that was in 2020, right? 2020, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was surprised to see him do that. Um, yeah. It's too bad he didn't finish, but yeah but you might do that. That would be something that would be appealing to you one summer. Maybe when, maybe, maybe when I'm 40. Yeah. I don't know if I get like, here's the th- thing though. Like one of the reasons I've ran Leadville last year is like, it's flat. Like the Achilles is way more amenable to flat terrain than it is to vertical and hard rocks get a lot of vert, you know? Yeah. But you know, I mean, if you'd asked me two years ago that I would have been able to run Leadville last year, I'd have been like, heck no. You know? So who knows? Things could keep improving. I know we just talked about UTMB. How important is that race to you? Because I know you, I guess you may to a fan have unfinished business. Are mm. you interested in going back there one day? And it's, it's the hard rock. Yeah, it's, it's a hard rock conundrum in two ways. One, it's a lot of vertical. Two, uh, does anyone know how to get into that race anymore? Like, what's going on with that? Like, it's, there's a lot of hoops to get in there now. It's like, here we have to run all of these races if you want a chance of doing this race. And um, having said that, obviously UTMB is an incredible experience. I did it twice. I only finished once. Um, I think it's hugely, I'm so grateful for all those opportunities, like traveling abroad for weeks at a time. Yeah, it's hugely enriching to my life. Unfinished business, Sure. If I still had the, the physical capability, absolutely. That would be, but man, it's just seem it just feels so tenuous on a day-to-day basis, <laughs> but yeah, UTMB to me, 
all the hoopla around UTMB does not disinspire me. Like, I, I think that's fine. You just have to recognize, like, that's like, I think a sport, it's fine to have that in a sport, you know, but it's just cool that hard rock exists too, or that like your local unsanctioned underground, whatever exists as well, you know? Um, like the sport is big enough to have all these different styles of events, but I'm not like sitting here trying to figure out how to get into UTMB, I guess. Earlier in the conversation, we were talking about Western States. Are there any other projects or races running related that you're considering for this summer? Yeah. I've always got things, man. They tend towards what we were talking about at the beginning though, with regard to technical backcountry type missions. There's so many inspiring lines. One of the best ones is right here in the backyard. It goes along the Continental Divide from Long's Peak to Arapahoe Peak in the Indian Peaks Wilderness. That one's always like in the back of my mind. And, and it's more doable on my Achilles because it's a ton of hiking and scrambling, which is just a lot easier than trying to run uphill. or So, yeah, something like that. But I don't know. It's bad form to pre-spray about stuff, you know? Like, <laughs> how come? How like, come? How come? It's hype with no substance. Okay. You know, it's like, you know, that term comes from the climbing world. Spray is, uh, it's like unsolicited advice, unsolicited hype. So if you are talking about something you're going to do, you're just making hype about nothing. It's like, there's no, there's nothing, nothing's happened. You haven't done shit, you know? Um, So why, so why talk about it? Like, I think it's helpful. I think it's useful to share the experience afterwards. And I think that's important even, but to talk about it beforehand, it's just words. Like there's no, it's all fluff. There's no substance to it. Doing a little bit of speculating for a second. I thought this would be a fun topic to talk about. How do you think your career might have gone differently if the 2008 Western States 100 had not been canceled? Huh? Uh, I don't know about my career, but I would have won that day for sure. Really? hundred percent, dude. No, no, uh, no, like I did a 260 mile week leading up to that race. Like, no, no shade on, on Hal Kerner, but I was a better runner than Hal that year for sure. And he was like, you know, he won in 07 and 09. So he was clearly like the class of the field then. I've always respected Hal a huge amount. Like his 2012 hard rock win just like classic so so good and impressive but uh yeah no 2008 i was ready i mean i ran uh what did i run that spring to get into the race um american river american river 50 uh i think i had the second fastest time ever there and the the fastest time uh the dude was the 100k american record holder at the time that's that's a flat course like my marathon that race we went through the marathon three minutes slower than my marathon pr you know like it's like, it's not my, anyways, I was fit is what I'm saying going into that race. And I was halfway across Nevada and Eric Skaggs, who was going to pace me there, like calls me and is like, uh, yeah, the race is off, dude. You can go home. <laughs> so yeah. Um, but how it would have affected my career? Uh, I don't know. Who knows? I don't think like winning a race, I was already sponsored by New Balance um, within, you know, 18 months of that race they were sponsoring me in a way that allowed me to like, you know, have it be full time basically. Um, so, yeah. Like one thing I think about is would you have gone back to Western States in 2010 and would unbreakable have been filmed as a result? Oh, or like, would you have yeah, gone and done other projects earlier? Like, would you have gone to UTMB because you had just taken care of business at Western States and it was no longer appealing to you? Yeah. 2008 was the first time I ever heard of UTMB because I remember, so Killian won it that year, first year he won it. And um, Carl and Scott and uh, Hal had gone over the year before. So like it was on my radar. I was like, oh, there's this race over here. And that was the year, 2008 was the year that Kyle Skaggs blew up Hard Rock. And everyone that came back from UTMB that year and was like, there's this kid who's like better than Kyle. It's like, shut up. What are you talking about? And they're talking about Killian, you know? Um, so I would, I don't know, maybe I would have gotten UTMB earlier, but I think if I had won Western in 08, I would have gone back in 09 and 010. Maybe I'd have been a three-time winner, dude. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Who knows? No. No, I, 2009, I mean, because see, this is the, the butterfly effect that is silly because it's like the only reason I didn't go in 2009 is because I had a knee injury, of course. I mean, I'm always injured, dude. Uh, so, yeah. I have a co-host and we do a specific episode on ultra running's great what ifs. And the last one we did was what would have happened to our sport if Walmsley had never missed the turn at mile 93 back mm. in 2016. It's just, it's just fun to game out. That was the first year in 2016. Huh? 2016, yeah. And for example, uh, if he had won that year, if he had set the course record, would he have just like immediately gone and focused on UTMB and maybe won it earlier? Or would he have been like, oh, ultra running's a joke. I'm going to go and run the marathon instead because I just crushed like three of our top races in a row. Anyway, hmm. it's question. fun to game yeah. out. Yeah, that's interesting. That's funny. That was the year he got lost and didn't, he finished that year though, didn't he? Yeah. So yeah, that's interesting. Last, what ultimately made you choose Boulder as your training base? So I lived in Colorado Springs for seven, eight years. And then, yeah, short stint in Bozeman, five or six months in Ashland, working at house store actually. But I went to school in Colorado Springs. I wanted to be in the mountains. So I, Colorado, I wanted, I wanted to be in Colorado. Grad school here. And then I just stayed because I got like interested in all the things that Boulder has to offer. You know, I mean, I still see myself like maybe moving at some point. Seriously. Yeah, dude, the, the, the housing, housing's impossible here. It's yeah. like, I mean, I make enough money as a full-time athlete, but I can't afford a million dollar house. Dude, come um, up to Salt Lake. Hmm. Uh, dude, let's talk about it. What do you like and not like about Salt Lake having been here? Oh man. I don't know if this is a good topic, actually. What I like about Salt Lake is the Wasatch is incredible. It's like, it's a magnificent mountain range. And it's the, like, I mean, Salt Lake's a big city and it's right there. Like you're, um, I think I'm probably getting to a point in my life where I actually see that as a negative rather than a positive. I'm just becoming more hermit-like and recluse in my old age. But what I like about the Wasatch is the rock is good. There's good climbing there. There's similar to the Northern front range. There's quite good Alpine scrambling. Um, you know, you get up around Lone Peak. I mean, everything, Little Cottonwood, all that stuff. Salt Lake has the goods for sure. The air quality is, you can't do it. Like, it's so hot. There. I mean, it's hot in Boulder too in the summer, but it's really hot in Salt Lake in the summer. And then in the winter, you got your freaking just like smog layer all winter long. That'd be tough. Proximity to the desert would be cool. I think some kind of like, like, support network you know friend circle friends um i don't know yeah you develop uh, doing these other sports in the mountains which I, I know there's a huge community in the wasatch but climbing and skiing specifically you need partners and it's really tough finding like-minded partners oh did you got jason and andy deray legends yeah oh i know i know yeah and i've done some climbing with jason actually um i've actually i don't think i've ever actually met andy but we message plenty. No, those guys get after it for sure. They're way better skiers than me, but yeah, I mean, but that's exactly the, they have the right mindsets. Like, absolutely. Uh, no, those guys are great. Yeah. Like it, it, it exists for sure, but I don't know, you get stuck somewhere and like it's home. Yeah. I'm not, I really don't like this concept of, uh, like greener pastures, you know, like look, always looking for the, the better thing. It's like, what's wrong with where you are, make it what you want it to be. Like, I mean, it's impossible to complain about a place like Boulder if what you're interested in is outdoor recreation, you know? Um, I don't know. Those are my answers. <laughs> no, I love it. I dig it. Maybe we'll sell you at a later date, but that's good. That's good philosophy there, the greener pasture stuff. Let's get into these sort of miscellaneous lightning round questions. The first being, what is something you used to believe either in running or some other area of life that you have recently changed your mind about and why? I'm going to go with, I think I just wrote about this for Ultra Running Magazine, actually. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with Nebraska not being good for running. Nebraska is great for running. If what you're into is running, where I grew up is perfect place to be a runner. If like, just like the act of running, soft surface, rolling terrain forever. Doesn't have altitude, but who cares? There's no mountains there to run anyways. Why do you need altitude? I don't know. <laughs> I love it. So 
Yeah, and part of that is the full circle of becoming an adult, I guess. It's like, you know, you're at home, you're an ad, you're, you know, a teenager, like, I gotta get out of this place, like, it uh, sucks. Go to the mountains, spend 20 years in the mountains, grow up, mature, and realize that, like, where you came from is actually super important and not as bad as you thought it was when you were a teenager. Have there been any failures or apparent failures during your running career or otherwise that have actually set you up for later success? Oh, I mean, success can be defined so fluidly. Um, You know, I think the obvious one to me is when I broke my leg in 2011, if I hadn't done that, I never would have gone down this multi-sport avenue without some kind of catalyst like that. It just completely shifted my mindset of what was a meaningful and fulfilling way to use my body and be in the mountains. Like before that injury, I sort of abhorred hiking. It was like, no, I'm a runner. I'm going to run this hill. I'm going to run every step. And like that just like changed my perception. I'm like, oh yeah, like hiking is a totally valid way to go uphill, you know? And then that progression, the scrambling, progression, the climbing, further injuries led to the whole cycling and skiing. So yeah, I would say that kind of thing. But you know, in the moment, it was like a tragedy. It happened in early June. I was out the entire summer. It's like crutches the whole summer. Yeah, it sucked. <laughs> it like precipitated me like dropping out of grad school at the last minute, you know, <laughs> but whatever. What was the last piece of art? Could be a book, a podcast, a TV show, painting, you came across that has made you feel something and what did it make you feel? Oh man. Um, the last one, uh, uh, this podcast is called, uh, I think I actually made a post about it. Uh, 60 songs I explained the nineties. Are you familiar with this? No. Yeah. Oh dude. I don't know. Maybe you'll be into it. I don't know how into music you are, but um, so it's on Spotify. It's a Spotify exclusive podcast. It's called 60 songs that explain the nineties. And the host is this guy, this music critic, Rob Harvilla. And his writing is incredible. It's self-deprecating. It's humorous. It's poignant. And one of the last episodes in like this first season was for the song killing in the name of, by Rage Against the Machine. I don't know if you were ever a Rage Against the Machine fan or if you are a Rage Against the Machine fan, but it's great and you should listen to it. Go to Spotify, search 60 Sounds Like Swimming 90s. I guess what, what, what's great about it? Um, he starts off with the Ice-T song, Cop Killer, and talking about its cultural influence and how killing in the, and then juxtapositioning <laughs> that to killing in the name of as like, basically a cop killer song that isn't explicitly about killing cops the way the cop killer is and how that gives it its strength that the whole thrust of that song is fuck you don't don't do what you tell me and it's just like how cathartic that can be for anyone because they can project it onto whatever their like grievance is right but he just does it in a very like articulate poignant way with the current events of the world I recommend it. The second half of each episode is an interview with someone about the song. Yeah, whatever that can be thrown away on this one. But the first half, the first 40 minutes or whatever, definitely worth a listen. But you should, well, you're new, man. You definitely check out this podcast. It's not just this episode, but the whole series. I don't know. How old are you, Finn? I'm 30. Uh, okay. So like the 90s theme will be like, you're just like a touch young for it maybe because you were yeah. like born in 1990. But I, I think you probably know 90s music. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Last question. If you could put a message on a billboard for all to see, what would it say and why? Oh man, I considered asking you not to ask this one because it's going to be, it's going to be one of those ones that it's coming back full circle. This is influence right here. I know, but this is the problem with it, man. It's like, I, here's my problem with, with that question. Uh, I think it's more interesting to talk about why you don't like a question than just like ax it behind the scenes. Let's go. Uh, Yeah. Um, Right now, culture is so polarized, so divisive. It's so just like at the extremes, right? And so my response to that is trying to understand that the world is a complicated and nuanced place and that there aren't clear-cut answers about most issues. 
and putting their slogan on a billboard is reducing something to like the most it's the exact opposite of nuance you know what i'm saying so trying to like all all that does is as like you know me as the interviewee uh it's like i'm supposed to come up with something clever you know that or like something that will like make people think oh like that guy he thinks deeply or he's you know he has wit or something you know and it's like i'm just so tired of that kind of shit like i don't i'm not I don't want to perform that game, you know? Like, why do you host an hour-long podcast instead of just, like, like, why do you go to that trouble instead of just, like, taking pot shots on Twitter, you know? It's, like, because things require a conversation and differing points of views and hashing it out and not just, like, oh, here's the answer. You know, half a dozen words on a billboard. I don't know. Plus, I'm not trying to influence, man. Like, it's just like that. Dude, you can decline. You can abstain. This, this will be the first ever uh, abstention from the question, which would be awesome. I'm abstaining, man. Sorry. <laughs> I love it. Dude, we came here to talk about running, but I feel like we ended up talking about more interesting stuff, which is always good. And can't thank you enough for your time. Um, yeah, this has been great. If anyone wants to follow any particular project you're working on, can you give them the details here? Yeah, I mean, Instagram's probably the easiest way. I feel like that's the mouthpiece for everything anymore. Um, I'm at, my name, at Anton Kupichka. Uh Yeah, I mean, if you like pictures of mountains and bicycles and rocks, probably the place. And, and to my girlfriend, I guess. <laughs> Go ahead and follow me. Oh, yeah. Thanks again, man. Yeah, thanks, man. Hey folks, thanks as always for listening. If you enjoyed the conversation, all I ask is that you give it a share on your social media platforms and that you leave a rating or review wherever you listen to this podcast. Until next time, this is The Single Track and I am your host, Finn Melanson.